Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It is Lady Bunny. How wonderful to be reconnected with Jordan West, who directed me in a major motion picture. Well, a feature film, let's say that. How are you, yes. Jordan? We're here to I'm discuss Playland. I'm so, I haven't seen you since last September. Yeah, I when know. We, it's been a finished, whole year. Do I look a year older or a year younger? Well, your hair is darker, but mine is grayer. So whatever, you know. <laughs> I know. And, uh, but no, thank, I just am so grateful to get to talk to you. And um, still, it's, it was an amazing opportunity to get to direct you in our major motion picture. Well, you know, I mean, it was lots of fun for me, too. I, in, in, in this uh, film, Playland, I am not playing Lady Bunny, so that might be different for uh, some people. But I spoke with Russell, the producer, and he told me that someone was telling him after seeing a rough cut that, you know, in the in the film I lip synced to an opera number, and I was so worried about it because I didn't, I didn't, you know, I, it was in German for one thing, and uh, you know, it was a lip sync for your life situation, and I thought I was going to be dead. But uh, the, the the they said that when they saw the lip sync, they were uh, impressed by my breathing, and it was like an opera's uh, opera singer's breath, and you actually gave me a lesson or two with an opera singer from New York City to kind of like, you know, help me out with that. So that was much appreciated. I enjoy being pushed in different directions. It's, 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 you know, we all need some of it, don't we? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, 
I, I think when people see the film, um, we always get comments about how believable that lip sync is. It is like every time, every time we screen it, they're like, oh, are, is she singing? And I'm like, no, um, but you are that believable. So and that's, uh, you know, that's a sign that you did a fabulous job. So well, thank I, you. Ho- I hope that rings true for other um, opera <laughs> aficionados because I'm not one, but I, I look forward to seeing it. Now, you know, I was I was kind of giggling because I did struggle with the music um, a little bit. There was one other song that I had trouble hearing what the different notes in the song were because it was a choral uh, arrangement. Yeah. And I was like, is this, ch- are the notes changing? Where does it? And then y'all said y'all need to come in at different points. I was like, oh, finally you gave me an easy one. And I was so glad when you filmed that scene with me kind of in the background. So even if I got one wrong, it would, it would be blurred. <laughs> no, my goodness. No, no, no. I think it, it just made it. I think it was a great push for me as a director too to like work within skill sets. Um, uh-huh. I think it even strengthened that piece overall to have it end up the way it did. Okay. Okay. Well, I, do, I was reminding Russell, there was one rehearsal and we, it was at a park outdoors in the uh, Bronx, I believe, which is the area that I'm not the most familiar with. Um, and, uh, and it was a boiling hot day. I knew I was struggling with the, the song. Then we went out there and everybody's boom box started uh, going off in the park. And then the sirens came and I was like, I am making a fool out of myself in this park. And then to make it even more distracting, one of the cast happened to be a very young and attractive Latino male who appeared to either be very well endowed or have a hard on in stretch uh, shorts. So I was like, God damn, if they had, if they roasted my family, this would not be any harder to, uh, <laughs> to concentrate oh on. I was like, like having trouble. I was, I was like, I'm going to ruin this movie. I'm an idiot. And now all these, then all these distractions, but I'm glad that you were able to gloss over <laughs> our skill sets, Jordan. Yes, of course. Of course, it was my pleasure. I think running those rehearsals outside uh, was a great stretch for everyone, and I am I'm <laughs> so happy you enjoyed your your fellow cast members as well in those nice <laughs> <those> moments. <laughs> hey, I may not be the. I, I may be too old to cut the mustard, but I can still lick the jar as the. Oh my god! So now, Jordan, tell me about how this film happened. Um, so I had, it was back in like 2018, 2019, I started to do some research and digging in a local archive in Boston, the history project. Um, Mm -hmm. and I stumbled across this amazing queen named Sylvia Sidney and, uh, a lot of the times her escapades ended at the Playland Cafe. That's where she concluded her evenings or whatever uh, trickery she was up to. And so uh, continuing that digging, um, I found out that Playland would have been Boston's oldest gay bar had it survived the turn of the century. Um, I was in graduate school at the time and, you know, I walked over to the location 21 Essex Street, which is just a block or two from Boston Common um, to see what was there. And it's now a parking garage. Um, so I I knew I wanted to 
bring the bar back to life in some sort of visual moving image uh, way. Um, mm-hmm. But it took a couple of years after that to figure out just how and from what perspectives I, I wanted the story to be told. Um, and I ended up going and working in a gay bar myself uh, as a server. I wasn't very good. Um, <laughs> but charisma got me through. I still can't tell a cocktail apart. Um, and, but there are only so many vodka sodas you can get wrong anyways. Uh, yes. So, yeah. And I, so I knew I wanted it to be told from the perspective of people who would have had to care about the space and were stewards of the space, made their livelihoods in the space and spent their lifetimes in the bar. Um, so the servers, the bartenders, uh, the cooks, uh, the queens, that was the perspective that emerged. Um, and, and so, yeah. so has bar culture always been important to you? I mean, because, you know, I'm sure I know lots of people who work in bars. I'm one of them, but not yeah. a lot of them go and do research about historical bars. They want, they're looking for the next gig or, you know, maybe yeah. they're going back as far as studio 54 or, you know, paradise yeah, garage. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think for me, I, I wanted to, figure out, I think a little bit better how to situate my own experience within a history. Um, and like being this queer bag of garbage, I wasn't <laughs> the most likely of patrons in like the eighties and nineties in these gay bars, but, um, you know, gender variant people, uh, had more, uh, behind the curtain sort of roles. So, um, and I think it, in trying to situate my historical body, it was, uh, you know, it would be through service. It would be through the service industry. It would not be through patronage. And so I think that's where I started to get interested uh, a little bit more. Maybe it was a little bit selfish in the beginning. Uh, but no, I think bar culture and, and nightlife and what it means to be someone who moves about in the evening after sundown is something that is historically really relevant to the queer experience. Um, and yes. I just want to position myself as a maker, as someone who understands my history and what I'm building on. Yeah. Okay. Well, now the plan yeah. was open from 1937 to 1988. It was a real place in Boston. Yeah. What happened yes. to it? Um, so it was in yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was owned by a couple. Um, and, you know, a lot of historical gay bars were intended to be gay bars, but just over time, the clientele shifts and changes. Um, so after World War Two, or like during during like uh, Boston being like a port city in the World Wars, um, it, the clientele became increasingly gayer. Um, and then it, the original owners passed away, their son inherited the bar. And their son swiftly sold the bar in the 90s. Um, they were having trouble anyway, keeping their liquor license, keeping their entertainment license. There were a lot of crackdowns by the government. Um, so I think he just thought it was better to cut his losses and sell. So I think he sold it for under $700,000 uh, in the mid-late 90s. Okay. Yeah. And also the AIDS epidemic. Yeah, you know, may have given you know, taken a hit. So now, one part of the uh, the the thing I'm reading about Playland is uh, Playland Cafe is an example of what happens when a city uses its resources to el- resources to eliminate certain spaces and certain yeah. people. 
black, yeah. brown, and queer people from the city. Yeah. Um, today, queer spaces like Playland have been paved over in an effort to gentrify metropolitan downtowns, replacing dynamic minority community with parking lots. So, um, are, are we still doing that? Oh yeah. It's a, and it's not just a national endemic, it's global. Um, that is something that is still happening. And I mean, Boston is a great example of what happens when government intervention is very successful. Um, so, but definitely still happening. We still are losing these brick and mortar spaces um, pretty regularly. And so in the case of Playland, what was the government's intervention? Yeah. Um, so they, the combat zone, which was the government's designation for like sex industry and sex work, downtown Boston, um, came under fire with uh, urban renewal efforts that were more or less sweeping the nation um, in the 50s and 60s. And so there was something called the Boston Redevelopment Authority um, that was more or less leading the crackdown and privatization of this downtown area. So moving out all the strip clubs, uh, you know, cracking down on these gay bars, you know, these porn theaters also were shuttered over time and the property was sold off to whether it's Emerson college or Suffolk, uh, Starbucks banks. Um, it was largely corporatized and privatized by the turn of the century. Mm -hmm. Okay. I mean, there was something recently in Boston where they closed Avalon, which was a huge venue with different rooms, like a, a like really one of the yeah. last Northeast um, big club experience that's not at yeah. like a, a special event. And I, I, do, I do remember that when they closed it, you know, it, it was going to be, you know, developed, but they kind of saved a little space for a theater venue. Did that mitigate this trend at all? <laughs> You is, know, that, is, that, so, is that mitigation effort to be trusted? <laughs> no, absolutely, absolutely not. It's so funny when, you know, government or these industries have such a heavy hand in what goes where. And then they're like, but don't worry, we're going to put a mural on the side of the building as if that resolves the issue. That's just like, it's not enough. And I know, yeah, machine did close and they're like going to put a theater there. But really, it's becoming apartments for a school it's northeastern um mm. so no does it mitigate it uh, maybe maybe but it's like putting a, a band-aid on a pretty a wound that's bleeding out um mm. that it doesn't really it does not do justice to the large amount of people are, who are not only being displaced but like whose livelihoods are being taken away by removing these spaces not to mention, like, the elimination of culture um, from specific areas of Boston as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I know that uh, people of color, uh, Puerto Rican, yeah. Black, have been leaving New York um, for decades because it is too yeah. expensive and they've been, yeah. you know, priced out. You know, I 
also yeah. have a, a, a couple of, of other perspectives on this, which is that when I moved in Atlanta, everyone lived in the Midtown area, which was, you know, adjacent to downtown. And like you say, it had all the sex workers. It had all of the uh, the bars, the seedy bars, the nice bars, the, the you know, whatever, thrift stores, you know, porn theaters. I don't remember if it had those or not. But um, but then the gays had these, be- they never had to, they never had to drive. They never had to drive to a bar or home from a bar because they could walk to all of these bars. And honey, that meant the the atmosphere on the street was electric. The gays moved to be out by the malls. They abandoned this paradise. And within a few years, they moved out to the malls to be near, you know, the chain stores and abandon these like independent, you know, designers, their own venues. And after that, to me, Atlanta nightlife has pockets, but it's like, how could y'all give that up? Sometimes yeah, we're giving I, up our own safe spaces because we have the gentrification mindset of, ooh, I have to buy Abercrombie and Fitch or I won't look, you know, cool. You yeah, know? I think, I, I mean, like, it, it's a pretty revolutionary move to ha- try your best to stay in a place, but a lot of people are being priced out, especially Boston's demographic is shifting. Um, it's always been a very segregated city, um, but for years it was a majority minority city, and this year that's changed. Um, so you know, people are really tr- being forced out of these epicenters of you know where these demographics used to collide. Uh, and I'm sorry, I'm sad to hear that about Atlanta, but the same thing is happening in San in Francisco. In San Francisco, yeah. where people are moving to Oakland, you know, in yeah. in, uh, in in New York for sure. Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, it's it's it is happening all over. I mean, I yeah. I, I was in Hong Kong and I had a wonderful tour guide, and uh, she took me to her block. And she said, this is one of the most popular places in Hong Kong. And it was just an old, magnificent, rusty gate. And I was like, huh, that's, that's interesting. And, and she said, everything is in Hong Kong is so new and corporate and that they think that this looks rustic. So many wedding parties will come and take their photos. So in other words, you made everything <laughs> oh slick and boring. And then, then you want to find the thing that's falling apart because it actually has some character. So uh, anyway, this is not, this is a, a a, a movie about a bar, but it is not. It's it's not. It's not a Cheers uh, type experience. No. It's an art. No. It's an artsy vision. It, it, yes. it, there are very. There's very little dialogue. There's yes. there are, are you know wild sets and cost great costumes. So yes. I mean, uh, tell us a little bit about that aspect of it. I mean, we, the, the, where do you think that this is a movie that will play? Uh, at theaters, will 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 it will it play in film festivals? Will it go straight to streaming? What will it do? I do not see it going straight to streaming, but I mean, I think every filmmaker, every artist hopes to get theatrical distribution. But <coughs> forgive my cough. <coughs> I know, I, I know, like we're in a pandemic. We're we're in a pandemic. I know, I know. <laughs> um. But, you know, I really do think we're going to have a robust festival run. And our dream has always been for this film to be as relevant 20 years from now as it is right now. And it is a work of fantasy in a lot of ways. Um, It's taking the archive and imagining what could exist in those gaps and those spaces of people not wanting to be documented, people not having the privilege to be documented. 
um, in preserved and archival space. So re really reimagining what archival film can look like. Um, but yeah, I mean, the costumes are magnificent. The sets are magnificent. And we were uh, really hopeful to conjure a very specific mood, like a fundamental mood that would have been pervasive um, and the mood that seemed to be conjured by poems by Mark Doty about the space or John Keane about the space um, to allow it to exist in this uh, dream world rather than being stuck in the gaps of reality. Um, so, I, I mean, I'm hopeful. I would love a small theatrical run, um, but definitely uh, I do think it will secure its place in film history, uh, especially... Mm -hmm. Uh, queer visual culture. I, I think this film has a very important voice uh, in looking at and examining what the depth and breadth of talent of LGBTQ talent looks like. Um, I mean, like getting to work with you in this new context and really seeing your acting chops in like such a beautiful new way um, was so amazing to get to see as a first time director. Uh, you know, working with Miranda, who's with Alvin Ailey, um, Jose, who's um, a wonderful voguer, I think House of Telfar. Um, so bringing together this really diverse group of talent and this transdisciplinary act, I, yeah, I think it does have this high art feeling without losing the very grounded sense of this is uh, what queer history could look like. Right. And it has dance numbers and opera and, um, you know, a swing that I'm on, which did not break, yeah. assholes. Yeah. I know that what you're thinking. You're thinking that it broke. Oh. It did not. Um, you know, I'm still in touch with the crazy Puerto Rican makeup artist Jaws. I call her to bust her chops every once in a while because she's such a good really? Of course I do. Of course I, I do. Love that. I was like, I've never met anybody from Boston with as much personality as you uh why was it important to include so many people of color in this was playland a place that would have attracted a similar clientele like the cool thing about playland is it really was a gathering place for people from all walks of life it was known to be have a very very uh diverse clientele um and <coughs> oh, gosh <coughs> well, honey, i hope you get this movie out before you die I know this cough has struck me three days ago and it really just will not depart. Um, so it's called COVID with a side of monkeypox. It's called COVID with a side of monkeypox and it's top note of Ebola. Mm -hmm. It's uh, I've tested so many <laughs> times and I just turned 30 yesterday. So it's, uh, Oh I'm my like, God, you're me. ancient. Oh my I really, I know, I know. Oh, I'm so happy I get this movie it. out. I know. I'm so happy I can be like, oh, I shot it in my 20s. Um, it makes me seem like a, a, a wonderful. Um, but no, I think, uh, you know, Playland was known to be like this gathering place for people from all walks of life. Truck drivers, people who just got off the night shift, sex workers. Um, and so, I, I mean, it was really important for us to gather people in front of the camera and behind the camera that would have, that reflects a variety of experiences um, and like someone like Jaws, I've not yet made a film without Jaws on set. Oh um, my lord! So, yeah, every single film uh, she's been she's done hair for. Um, so it, it's also been really nice to 
have a, a wonderful team, uh, a Boston-based team uh, that I can carry from project to project as we grow um, and get to grow together as well um, and really get to invest in the talent and showcasing that talent. Um, something that is really, really important to me. Right. Yeah. But now I got to tell you that um, the, 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 we shot this in September, 2021. That's when it yes. wrapped. And, yes. um, you know, now we, th- that was where, you know, we were quite afraid of, of COVID because we were just coming yeah. out of the, the December, January uh, Omicron, you know, I think yeah. 70% of everyone in New York had Omicron <laughs> in January. Yeah. I think that was, or, or February. Oh, so this, so, no, oh, no, it wasn't right after that. It was, it was in September. So uh, yeah. I guess it was before that. But anyway, th- it, we were still, the, the, we were filming it when people were not saying, as Biden is now, that the pandemic yeah. is over. And you no, know, someone it made it, we had, we observed, we, we tested um, yep. regularly and we yep. wore masks, you know, even the director, you, yep. you know, even the producer. I mean, we all, you know, it, it wasn't something like we're making the help do something that we don't do because obviously, uh, if someone gets sick, yeah. whether they're on the crew or the cast, you're going to to to, to gum up the production. You're going to, to, but but also, and this this made me giggle because someone who I follow on Twitter said the CDC needs to get the Hollywood groups in there who who have COVID protocol because they treat people like. They matter if they get yeah. sick. We've just like yeah. ditched all the masks and ditched all the, you know, so, whatever. So it's like I, 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 I appreciate that so much because I was like, yes, I want to do this, but how do I feel about a makeup artist, you know, in my face? Well, we did it the safest way we yeah. could. They were all wearing masks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you know there were a lot of ethical questions moving through, and also <laughs> a lot of prayers. Um, <laughs> you need you one need of our some main- you need some Everyone, please for me. Jordan's <laughs> final interview. <laughs> I know when Russell was like, "Oh, I can't make it today." I was like, "Russell, like I have this horrible cough." After I canceled all my meetings for this afternoon too, because I was like, "I don't, I don't know if I'll have any voice left." Um, but no, we were all very, very masked on set. Everyone was testing, but if we knew that if one of the main cast got COVID, we would be done. That would be yeah. end. the end. Playland would just not have happened. Um, so we were very, very careful uh, moving through. And even from the way we housed people. Um, and, you know, we sat down beforehand to figure out who would be sharing dressing rooms with whom. Um, mm-hmm. So we, we, were, we were very methodical and uh, really uh, having the knowledge of, like, one person gets sick, we're done. It's done. Um, yeah. so we, we, we moved through with a lot of care and we were an independent production. So it's not like one crew person gets sick. Well, screw them. Let's replace them. It was like, we really had to be considerate about everyone involved, um, at every single level of production. Um, right. but I think it, it helped democratize the set in a lot of ways. Um, and it, it did help that feeling that, you know, we were all in it together and no one person was more important than the other, whether I got sick or, you know, it, the person bringing food that day got sick. You know, it was the same amount of fallout. Um, well, I mean, if, if I may, uh, caring yeah. thinking that we're all in this together and taking that approach yeah. to a pandemic is what public health is. 
Yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah. We don't we don't have a yeah. huge concept of that over here uh, between the yeah. Trump and Biden administrations. But at any rate, so my character was, a, you know, a nod to the the drag queen who you mentioned, Sylvia Sidney, yeah. who passed away. When did she pass? She passed away um, around the time that uh, the bar would have closed. So I think she passed away in 1992, 1993, um, sometime sometime around when I was born, um, she had passed away. Um, But she was just such a a character and was doing something so very different um, than what everyone else was doing at the time. and so I, she, well, she was, was filthy. Like, she, she was, she was filthy, filth. just like a, a just filth, like filth. An, an MC, but who would also perform. And, you know, by the time she died, she was older. She was never exactly yeah. a beauty. Um, yeah. And, you know, overweight, drunk, crazy, loud, you know, so, and I, how, how did I manage to play a character like that? It's just <laughs> not typecasting, is it? Uh, no, you, you know, it, it, no, no, not at all. Not at all. No, 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 I, no. I didn't try to, to overtly do a Boston accent, but I did try to like have a slight leaning in that direction. So if I came off and it sounded country, like Southern Boston, South Boston. Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah, uh, yeah Southie. Yeah. Okay. So at this stage, you're you have a rough cut, and you're editing yeah. it, and you are yeah. you want to uh, get some archival footage from way back when in Boston to really seal the deal. What yeah. kinds of things are those that you so, still need? So actually, we're locked right now. So no more changes are being made. Um, we're securing funding right now to, you know, guarantee the rights as we start to play um, to use this archival footage, whether it's theatrical or for festivals. Um, but one of the big pieces of archival footage that is really important to me is Ted Landsmark's interview. Um, he was a, an activist in Boston who was brutally attacked. Uh, leaving uh, a Boston Redevelopment Authority meeting by a group of anti-busters. Um, and it was it's really important for me to bring in the history of uh, what resistance movements look like in Boston. Um, and Ted, Ted was such an active uh, active member of the civil rights movements uh, in the area. And that that happened to him on government property, that he was so savagely attacked, um, is something that I think is really relevant uh, to the story and to creating this fundamental mood of like everything outside these walls, even sometimes seeping in through these walls of the playland, is uh, an external world uh, that is very difficult, sometimes violent and negligent. Uh, of the people really trying to preserve and make a difference in its city. Um, so that's one of the archival pieces that we're trying to secure right now through fundraising um, alongside some other really historically relevant Boston moments. And so for the fundraising, there is a link where if people want to finish this movie and see Bun Bun uh, appearing as an opera diva and many other dances, you know, uh, I mean, everyone was floored by the set. The set was just, I mean, the lighting, everything notch you know and i wouldn't say yeah, it, if it wasn't yeah. true it was it was gorgeous and i mean we we couldn't believe it we all felt like we were part of something very special 
Oh, that's so good. That's so, I still keep in contact with a lot of the cast and not you know, me. I funny. <laughs> you're busy. You're you're very busy. And uh, I saw that you have a new Hulu special that we're going to be sitting down and watching this afternoon. So I'm yes. very excited. Okay. Well, it'll make you it'll make you sicker. It'll definitely make you sicker. <laughs> <laughs> if it's the thing that sends me to my grave, totally worth it. Totally, totally. <laughs> but it's always, yeah. I think it was, it was a really special set. And I, I'm really excited that this was my first like feature experience is to get to work with so many visionaries and luminaries. Like that's, yeah, I mean, like that's pretty freaking cool. I don't know how I'm going to top that. Well, one of whom is Danielle from yes. Pose, who yes. plays a character called Lady. Tell us a few other um people who you did stay in contact with, unlike me. Oh my God. I'm going to start emailing you or texting you and you're going to be like, who is this? Um, so uh, Aiden Dick, who plays Sunday, um, your younger iteration in the film. Um, and uh, Danielle plays Lady, who she's amazing. Uh, Kelly Mittendorf playing the, the DJ. Um, Jet uh who's playing a, a bouncer, um, Miranda Quinn, Jose, uh, who play the dynamic dancing duo of the cooks who uh, have my heart. And then Mason, of course, playing the dishwasher. Um, and then we have, um, I'm like going to forget people and I'm going to get in trouble. And now I'm scared. Um, and then how about the one I, I had think, a scene with on the couch that was the... Um, oh, Gatekeeper. Yeah, oh, my gosh. Gatekeeper. I hope Gatekeeper can forgive me. Gatekeeper, who has, like, a wonderful diva moment on the back of a swan as well that is really... in the dance moment. With I, I had, was so surprised. Like, uh, they were like, oh, I can dance too. And I was like, oh, like, we didn't cast them to be able to dance. Um, and they really just pulled it out and, like, kept up with Miranda and Jose and such a beautiful and extraordinary way yeah oh, cool. yeah yeah. Cool. So, yeah 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 so when i when we did rehearsals and yes. uh, my rehearsal was with gatekeeper and i had to inquire behind the scenes is that gatekeeper's real name you know blah 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 blah, blah. so yeah. uh you said why don't you after our first rehearsal together go and get to know each other and then we're going to come back and work on another part well you know i'm not I haven't done stuff like that. I hit it off beautifully with with Gatekeeper. And the first thing right. that he asked me um, was what my pronouns are. And I said, well, yeah. you know, if I guess if you want to make it easy, you know, for everybody, since I'm in a drag, just make it she. You know, what are your pronouns? And he said, um, he said, um, she and they. And yeah. so I didn't say she and they why not she and her? I said, because we were talking, you know, nicely about it. I said, so how did you arrive at she and they? And the gatekeeper said, I just don't identify as male. I got that yeah. with an, in an instant. And I'll tell you, I have a lot of trans women friends who are my oh. age, you know, or even look and they're not focused on pronouns. My, yeah. and, and I called one who specifically likes to make fun of people with pronouns, even though she is <laughs> trans. And she's, when I said yeah. that the gatekeeper said she or they, and I said, what? Yeah. She said, what? I said, that just means he just, he, she just doesn't want to be a he. She said, 
the, the, the enemy of the pronoun crowd. I totally get it. So when, you know that was that was a, a that was a nice awakening for me because yeah. you know what I'm I don't hang around with a ton of people that have you know different you know pronouns you know I was glad to yeah. do it I fucked up a couple of times with you on the set and I was never corrected in a mean way but you know since everyone is is online now what yeah. was so great about that is that this was someone who I just met. I liked. Yeah. He didn't say, yeah. you know, when I said, well, I'm not really that my age group isn't that interested in pronoun. He didn't say, well, why not? Mine is. You know, he just said, okay. You know, so it's like, and, yeah. and so th- then when he said, you know, I just don't want to be a he, I feel like I'm anything, but that I, I feel the same way. You know, I don't need to, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't change my pronouns about it, but I, wh- what, th- this was pervasive on the set. I mean, there, this was mm-hmm. about a queer bar. So there were going yeah. to be butch lesbians. They were going to be twinks. They were going to be yeah. an old booger drag queen in a feather headdress. I mean, so, so it's, it's like, what, wh- how does that, how does that, how does your focus on pronouns fit into that, into this? Uh, or was that I something mean, like, just something uh, with the cast? Was that something that, that you just that with the cast? Was this like something that was part of the story too? Because it is your vision. Because there there were a lot of. I mean, we're not supposed to say gender benders, but androgynous. We're not supposed to say that either. Uh, you know, I don't know what we're supposed to say, but let's just say yeah. not straight up alpha men and girls with ribbons in their hair. Okay. No, no, no. I think you know. I think the history of queerness is the history of testing limits and the history of pushing to places where language starts to fail us. Um, I think that's one of the reasons why the film is so quiet and why there isn't any conversation around identity. There is this uh, more or less a shared understanding. Um, And I I think, you know, I, I, I speak with Aiden every once in a while and we talk a lot about the ineffable. So like, what what escapes language uh, and what are we trying to touch that we don't have names for quite yet? Um, so, I mean, I, I, my pronouns are they, them. Um, and uh, I, I think to me, it's like the slippery na- gender is a lot more slippery than we think it is. And so I think in writing this film, it was never like, Oh, this person has this pronoun. I never um, thought a lot about that in regards to casting either um it was just about finding the right fit and respecting that person where they were at in the present day and making sure they were open to and felt comfortable playing an iteration of people who might have described themselves differently historically because i know that the emergence of uh, non-binary folks in different uh, categories of identity and different pronouns. Um, that's the language around that has just taken off exponentially in the last couple of decades. I know that this is a new way of describing our experiences, not a historical way. So I, I didn't want to um, overwrite history mm-hmm. with uh, a new uh, new wave understanding of identity. Uh, I wanted to be honest to historical identities um, while also giving integrity to where people, contemporary people were coming from. Um, so I think it's just about striking that, that balance. Um, 
Well, in and any gay she's... bar, in any gay yeah. bar, honey, you had to be prepared to be called Miss Thing, whether you were, yeah. you know, I mean, whether you were a trans man that just had top surgery or whether you were a, 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 a transsexual male, oh, yeah. feminine male, masculine male, bodybuilder, bear, you were Miss Thing and Mary. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I just, uh, I just did a piece with Aiden that's on display in Boston called Mary um about uh trinidad colorado which was like the sex change capital of the world for from the 80s to the 90s um so i think you know in the walking and i finished this film in provincetown i edited it in p-town and it wasn't uncommon to you know be walking down the street and get a hey hey boys or hey ladies i mean i i think there's so much play to be had in gender um so i i never feel personally slighted when I'm and that's my experience and I'm not speaking for everyone but whenever I experience being uh gendered in a way that I don't feel quite aligned with um it always feels like a playful way to engage with what that means to me or how I'm feeling about it so uh this film is important. This film has got to be made. If you yeah. would like to see this film, Playland, get finished with the rights to the archival footage that are going to send Jordan into the top of the Oscars nominees. Oh, my God. <laughs> Where do they need to go to pitch in? Anything will help at this point because, you know, these people were around then and they shot these archives and they deserve a coin for them. You can't you can't get it off YouTube. You ain't never going to see it on YouTube. You know, so if we want to see queer, you know, stuff, where do they go? Um, we do have a Kickstarter, um, but it's really easy. If you go to playland.cafe, our Kickstarter is, is linked up through there. Uh, we are being spotlit as the Kickstarter to fund today on their film page. Um, so, and we are, you know, almost 80% to our goal. So we only need 20% in order to use this archival footage and really situate this film within the sort of history that we've been setting out to do from the very conception of the project. So Playland.cafe, anything you give will help. Um, I just turned 30 yesterday, so go on and give $30 um, and they won't go towards my hospital fees. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, I'm a poor artist. We don't go to the hospital. I'm taking gin pills. No, 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 no. Oh, you take gin? You take gin? No, I don't. Oh, no, you're sick, thought... bitch. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. So, so, you know, we spoke with a, another queer film, filmmaker, Adam Baran, who... Um, you know, was was telling us we were talking a little bit about Bros, which mm. is the new Billy Eichner film, which didn't do as well yeah. as expected at the box office. And so, you know, um, you know, Billy was pointing some fingers at the straight community that didn't come out to to see it and whatnot. And Adam, who knows more about the business of things than I do, said that well. He knows someone who is doing a queer-themed film right now that is on hold, even though it has a top name in it, because bros didn't make the money back at the box office. So, I mean, I, I, 
I mean, h- how do you how do you reconcile that? I mean, because I mean, what the point I'm trying to make is that you know, yeah. you, you know, that movie costs twenty million. Could we put some? Uh, you know, of our gay dollars into <laughs> your queer dollars into yeah. queer projects, you know, so that we are seeing stuff that, you know, will knock everybody's socks off. And that is told from our perspective with a, yeah. a cast and director complete with pronouns, with a, a nod against gentrification and a recognition Whoa. that these are safe. But, you know, I mean, because, you know, it's it's like, one of the things that I'll let you answer that if that even is a question, yeah. I don't even know what I'm saying, but I, you know, anytime people feel like I, I, anytime anyone's like, Oh, we've accomplished everything that the gay rights movement has set out to do. I'm like, until we can make a shitty movie like anyone else. And it doesn't <laughs> count against the entirety of the community. Um, then I, then I'm like, nah, we, not quite. I think, you know, this, this challenging position of like every queer film has to perform exceptionally so that the next queer film can exist. That's a, that's a very heavy burden to put on queer makers. Uh, and I think it deeply frustrates me. And I think anytime I think Ocean Vong, who's a fabulous writer said something recently that really struck me was that when something isn't able to be monetized properly, then we charge it with saving the world. Um, so the <laughs> fact that queer films either have to make millions of dollars or save the entirety of humanity is not a task that I think a, a lot of makers are up to and should be put up to. Um, but I, I do think it's important that we show up and show out for one another. Um, I, I think that, that it, it speaks to and I hope for this film, we made it for the queer community. It's for and by the queer community. So I hope that straight people want to participate. Um, but I don't really care. Uh, either way, if they do, this is really for our community. Um, and so, I, uh, of course, I hope they come out and they show their support in the ways that they can. But I also understand that we're talking about a, a community that's been decimated in the last couple of years by financial hardship and burden. Um, I mean, I was a bar worker and, of course, saw the financial fallout from enduring a pandemic working at a gay bar. So I understand that we don't really have the same financial power um, as other uh, affinity groups. Um, so I haven't seen the Billy Eichner's film yet. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> I haven't either. But I'm, I'm going to. I'm going to go. But we're going to go tonight. Right. You know. Yes, Show exactly. Yeah. 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 No, no, I don't know anything about what other films cost, but Bros cost twenty million dollars. Yeah, we now, didn't cost twenty million dollars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. So is is that in terms? I mean, it's not going to be big budget. That would be hundreds of millions, right? Right? Or, or I mean, I mean, yeah. I mean, they spent didn't they spend a million on on the Thriller video, Michael Jackson? I mean, that, that's, yeah. that's 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 a, so. I mean, someone has proposed this to me about Bros. For a movie of $20 million, would you want to increase your chances of box office by having a a, a name star? Like a, a, bo- a box office 
you know, you know, superstar or not superstar, but like someone you know, perhaps more known than Billy Eichner, whose first thing was TV and not exactly, yeah. you know, a, 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 I mean, I wouldn't exa- exactly say he's a A list movie star or B list, perhaps. I don't know. I don't, I mean, I don't even know who he is really. I'm going to go see yeah. the movie. But, uh, so, but, but, but I mean, do you, do you yeah. think that for 20 million, would a movie typically get, um, something, a, a, a bigger star? Because, you know, rather than blame the audience, I don't know why he didn't blame the marketing or the, you know, the the, the trailer. I mean, it's kind of weird to me to say, you know, I don't make movie for homophobes. It's a, a little sour grapes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I can't, I, no one's given me $20 million yet. So I, I don't know what I would do. Um but usually there is like a, a large name attached, but I'm, I, at least for me, I'm a huge proponent of, you know, cast who feels like the best fit for the film. Um, yeah. They should have cast you, Lady Bunny. That's yeah, well, maybe I, where they went wrong. <laughs> well, I mean, that may be another issue with the film is that, you know, some people may not see a, an image of two physically fit young white guys walking together like they've just, you know, met up. That's not everyone's, yeah. you know, uh, fantasy. But, you know, uh, as Adam said, these movies uh, tend to sell well. So I guess yeah. you just have to decide yeah. if more sales are your goal or if an art piece is your goal. Because you don't make an art piece usually expecting, you know, yeah. um, I mean, uh, you know, to, lines to around the pocket rolling. every night. Yeah, yeah. You're not expecting to buy your second home or anything making independent art house queer films. Um, but, you know, 20, 20 million is no small investment. Um, <clears throat> but I would say I haven't even seen a trailer for the film yet. Um, okay. And maybe I'm not the, the target demographic, but it's not, at least for me, it's not reaching the eyes that it would need to get the turnout to see that return on investment. Um, so sad, yeah. Yeah. sad, but hopefully, you know, well, a film like fire Island, fire Island did very, very well. Um, did you see it? I didn't see it. I did see it. How'd you didn't you like see it? it. It was Margaret. Cho. Um, I, you know, I thought it was okay. You know, okay. I, well, now I sound like an asshole. It was a great film. Everyone please go see fire Island. Um, and it, it's a Pride and Prejudice retelling. Um, in a, I don't I mean, know what that is, and neither does anybody else that listens to this podcast. <laughs> yeah, like, Jane Austen, like, come on, girl. No, so there was, there was some, like, interesting class commentary going on. Um, yeah, but and it was it was fun. It was a fun watch. Yeah, we, we watched it, and, you know, I think they – they did a really good job in a great casting and a really fun and funky movie. Um, but I, 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 I am just hopeful that no one takes bros doing well or not. Also, I don't, I, it's hard for me to be like, I'm going to go see bros tonight. I feel like it sounds weird coming out of my tiny bat mouth. Um, but maybe tonight. <laughs> what sounds tonight better than a cough, night. which is the only thing that's come out is a cough. So, so, I know. I, mean, I know. I, <laughs> next time we speak i'm gonna by the time the film premieres i'll be healed that's the goal that's the goal that's okay the i just goal. have one more question yeah you know, obviously there's a lot of discussion 
um, mm. about uh, gays losing their safe spaces. Yeah, uh, and. Yeah. Uh, there are many, many, many reasons. One thing I liked about this project is that, well, yeah. if this place was open for 20 years, much less 40, you know, or 50, yeah. I mean, it must have had yeah. something very special about the vibe. And, you know, we we have lost that. Of course, it's coincided with me, you know, reaching an age where I'm not in a club every night, you know, so that's, that's but another thing that I've noticed is that I, I hear a lot of people go on about the great loss of our safe spaces, like after Pulse, mm -hmm. where so many people were shot in yeah. uh, in Orlando. That was like said as a, a, a definition of, of, you know, us losing a vital safe space, not just for queer, but for Latino. And, and, and then at the same yeah. time, everybody that has embraced Grindr, Everybody that has embraced sitting on the internet all day long instead of a club, everybody that goes into a club and sits on Instagram, you've destroyed the safe space also because you'd no longer feel through your 5,000 friends on Facebook or your Twitter or Instagram phone that you need to physically be with people. That is not a need that we have. And I think a lot of younger people don't never even came up with that need because you know they're not going to be taken to jail if they go down the street lip syncing you know as Diana Ross they're not they're, they yeah. might, might be you know taken onto the street corner but it's so I mean it, that's always interesting to me that we're, we're there a lot of people talk about the loss of queer spaces and how tragic it is but a lot of times we're we're killing it. You know, you don't have to pay a cover charge um, to go and see a performance on YouTube by a drag yeah. queen or a stripper or, um, you know, whatever. Uh, you just have to, to watch YouTube's ad. But when you don't pay the cover charge of a club, it closes. When yeah. you don't pay the performance, uh, you know, fee for the, I mean, the, the entry fee for a play or for actors, a drag queen, a stripper, they, they don't, they have no work. They disappear. They move, yeah. they vanish, they quit. So I'm not sure that everybody realizes that all the time. Yeah. I, I mean, I I gave an interview recently, and uh, I think social media and uh, online dating it came up pretty quickly. But, <laughs> well, I... I Was she cute? Like, oh, this, uh, <laughs> I mean, she's pretty cute. Um, Scott, great interviewer. Um, but I, I think to me it's... It's it's really easy to default to to blaming uh, the growth of digital life uh, on the closure of queer spaces, but we don't look at like the decades long efforts of um, you know contractors of government intervention of what it means to be a disenfranchised person without uh, you know extra money to spend on that Friday night where YouTube is the place where you go to facilitate any connection that you can't physically have the social token to gain access to, or even in Boston, like a liquor license there, they, they don't just give them out. You know, you don't get, there's only so many in circulation. You have to buy them from another business. So you're talking about $250,000 for a liquor license or $400,000 for a liquor license in that in, in Boston, um, you know, that's... Well, decades. in truth, they do drink a lot. They do drink a lot in Boston. <laughs> yeah, they do. They, they, I they, mean, 
Yeah. And not that there needs to be drinking to have like a brick and mortar safe space. Not saying that. Um, but I'm just saying, you know, it, it becomes a financially cumbersome task to open a space and keep that space open um, when you're trying to provide a service to a disenfranchised community that might not be able to afford to be a patron. Um, so, I, I mean, not to sometimes, quote, they, sometimes it loses money to create. Sometimes it loses money to create culture. You know, sometimes yeah. so, so sometimes it's not an, an immediate, your immediate breadwinner. It may not be, you know, like your your let's look back at historical icons night may not be as lucrative as your two for one Tuesdays. Yeah. You know, no. but but, no. but 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 you know that is how places like Playland became beloved. Yeah. You know, is, yeah. is 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 that the 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 you 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 wanted to go inside there because there was yeah. a vibe there. You know, you you wanted to That's pay the cover it. charge. You wanted to get by the drinks. You knew who you would meet. You knew the music yeah. would be this or that. That you, you know, that's that's what it is. Yeah, and I think it's kind of amazing, and we kind of nod to it in Playland. The fact that you know we're talking about like physical commodities, records, where you had to go somewhere to listen to it, um, and being part of that, like capturing that historical moment. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna Amazon rush you a, a respirator, darling. But I know, I'm so, I know. Blame so, Russell for not being my other half of my voice today. But I, know, I think well, you know it was the place to go to hear culture and to participate and to build culture. And I want to open a gay bar one day. That's one of my goals. Um, and I, I really do think that these spaces are important and valuable. Um, and, you know, patronizing these places is equally as important and valuable. So, like, spending your queer dollar on queer businesses, I, I hope people do more and more. Okay. Um, yeah. And they, they can yeah. to help to help out Playland. Yeah. They can go to – give us the address again because I'm going <laughs> to have, have it at the end. So Playland – Dot cafe. Wow, that was horrible. Let me try Playland to say it for dot cafe. There we go. Playland dot cafe, and it's not yeah. even a dot com or anything. It's just Playland dot cafe. And that'll lead you down the rabbit hole to our Kickstarter. Yes. If you want to contribute to see this magical piece, now I just have one bit of bad news. Um, so since we filmed, I have lost a significant amount of weight. And unless we reshoot everything, I'm going to have to sue you. Just my for, scenes. For, just my for scenes. Defamation? For what? What are you suing me for? I'm well, just curious. It doesn't matter. You're okay. going to be dead. Yeah, you're right. You'll be you're dead. Right. I mean, I, I won't then it, sue Russell. He'll, will, he'll, he'll take care of it. It will be I'll your be successors. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Thank you so much. And don't you dare go out to a movie tonight and infect everyone with your infectious. I won't. Directing. Sorry, Bruce. I'm staying and, home. And, yeah. And I'm going to put, can, can they follow this project on Instagram? Because a lot of people like the gram. Yes. Um, I'm really bad at Instagram. Um, so let me pull up the Instagram to follow. I'm see I'm bad because I'm like I'm barely on social media so I have no idea what's going on um it's at artless media that's a good place to follow okay artless media okay that yes. sounds great all oh. right Jordan thank you
Thank you. Have a wonderful day. Thank you so much. I can't wait to see Playland on the big screen or whatever size screen it's on. Medium to large, I promise. <laughs> Good. All right, love. Podcast Network.